السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Someone just give me a mic check, please. sound okay can everyone hear me طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد so welcome to another lesson with QP and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue and possibly inshallah ta'ala if we can finish off the tafsir of, of Surah Al-Shams. Uh, just a brief recap from last week when we covered the verses when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, took the oath by, uh, by, by the soul and he said subhanahu wa ta'ala wa nafsin wa ma sawaha Allah Azza wa Jalla, as we've seen from the beginning of the surah, he's taken a number of oaths. And as uh, some of the scholars with tafsir said, not only did he take an oath by those things such as the sun and the moon and the night and the day and the heavens and the earth and the soul, but he also gave to each one a description that he also took an oath by or a description or an attribute that he connected to the oath that he was taking subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of that came down to then the last oath which is concerning the soul and its formation or the soul and the one who formed it meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fact that Allah azza wa inspired it and gave to it the ability to recognize the path of righteousness from the path of wretchedness the path of good from the path of evil and then we came to the jawab al-qasim which is the reason for which the oath was taken the reply if you like to the oaths that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken and that is qad aflaha man zakkaha وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا Indeed, the one who is successful is the one who purifies their soul and the one who is doomed to failure is the one who doesn't do so. And that is essentially the, uh, if you like, in, 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 in uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the uh, essence of this surah, or if you like, the main principle of the surah, the main objective of this surah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us the importance of constantly purifying ourselves. And the way that we purify ourselves is taken from all of the other different verses of the Quran and the hadith of the Prophet that tell us the different ways and manners by which we can purify ourselves, be that reading the Quran, be that making tawbah and making istighfar, be that the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal, be that fulfilling the obligatory deeds that we have, having good character and good conduct in the way that we deal with others, all of those things that we have within the Sunnah and within the Quran, each one of them in essence helps a person to purify their soul and exalt it. And 
uh, you know, clearly, th- and, and it goes without saying that the greatest of all of those issues, or the f- foremost of all of those issues, is having tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the strength of iman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after he mentions all of those oaths that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken, and then he mentions the jawabul qasam, which is the reply that we took last week, the reason for which all of those oaths were taken, we now come on to verses 11 onwards. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would change, uh, you know, he will change the, uh, if you like, the topic, right? So it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now moves on to a different issue or a different, uh, a different subject matter within the surah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the beginning has mentioned these oaths and then we know that the reason for which the oaths were taken is to stress the importance of purifying the soul, right? Purifying the heart, cleansing it from its different diseases that it may have, these internal spiritual diseases that all of us suffer from, that all of us have to constantly fight against and combat. It is extremely important that we're conscious of that because as humans we're often, uh, you know, we're often uh, li- more likely to focus on the exterior, on the appearance, we're more likely to focus on what others can see and the way that others judge us. And we don't necessarily focus on the internal. We don't necessarily focus on the spiritual. We don't necessarily look at um, you know, at the issues that maybe we should be focusing upon. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he, when he mentions all of this before, so the past like 10 verses or the, the first 10 odd verses of this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then comes on to verse number 11. And it's as if the subject matter has changed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم كذبت ثمود بطغواها In their arrogant cruelty, the people of Thamud called their messenger a liar. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Muhsin Khan said Thamud denied their prophet through their transgression and then in brackets by rejecting the true faith of Islamic monotheism by following polytheism and by committing every kind of sin. Mufti Taqi, the people of Thamud denied the truth because of their transgression. And Sahih International, uh, Thamud denied their Prophet by reason of their transgression. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala now changes the, uh, you know, changes almost the subject matter. All of a sudden now we have the mention of a past nation, and I think from all of the surahs, and maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, from all of the surahs that we've covered so far, so from beginning from Surah An-Nas and working our way now to Surah Al-Shams. I think if I am correct in, 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 my, uh, in my recall, that this is the first time that we've come across the mention of a past nation, of a past group of people or a past prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is something which I think is, uh, is as we know, it's very common in the Quran. Allah Azzawajal mentions the stories of many of the prophets of Allah Azzawajal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the stories of many of their nations and their trials and their tests and their punishments and so on. It's a very common theme throughout the Quran. But I think this is the first time that we are going to come across it. And obviously this will now continue. There will be mention of this uh, in, in Surah Al-Fajr as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention uh, some of Ad and Thamud and, and these types of groups of people, these types of nations. And then from there on, you know, you, it comes every so often. But there's a few points here before we go into the tafsir of the surah. The first question that I have for you, and I'd like you to reply if you, if you can think of the answer, is why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention the people of Thamud? Why does Allah mention the people of Thamud? Why, why mention the people of Thamud? So this is, as we know, a Makki surah. It's from the early revelations in terms of it being from the pre-Hijri period. Uh, it's something which is being revealed not only, obviously, for the benefit of the Muslims, but also for the Quraysh that are there and for their people. 
And so therefore it stands to make sense that it's something which they can refer to, right? Something which they can understand, it's something which they can relate to. So why mention the people of Thamud? For more of the nations of the past prophets and for more of the different prophets and the stories that we know of throughout the Quran that are mentioned and dispersed throughout the Quran, why mention the people of Thamud? That's the first question. And the second question whilst you're thinking about that is what is the relationship between this verse now and, and it will continue, this theme now will continue until the end of the surah. Uh, what, is the, what is the purpose of mentioning this particular story of the people of Thamud with what it is what we have also done in terms of uh, in terms of the um, you know in terms of what has proceeded so all everything that has proceeded in the past 10 verses what is the connection with all of those oaths and all of those and the jawab al-qasam that we mentioned last week what is its connection now to the story of the people of Thamud the nation of Thamud okay so uh, if you're answering the first question Okay, so Hira is asking, can you please help me to understand the methodology of QP sessions? Do we need to open Quran or Tafsir whilst you recite and explain? No, you don't necessarily have to open it. If it helps you to open the translation of the Quran, you may do so. Um, if not, then you want to take your own notes, that's fine. But we're not actually going through a book of Tafsir. And so it won't really help you to have a book of Tafsir open. Um, but most, the best way would probably just to be taking notes. And if you want to follow the Quran, like with this translation as we're reading along, that's fine as well. Sumaira is saying, is it to draw a simile to the Quraysh, i.e. they will perish if they don't pay heed? Uh, are you asking, are you replying to the first question or the second question? So if it's the first question, the first question was, why mention the people of Thamud? Right? As opposed to all of the other nations, why not mention Ad, for example? Or why not mention, uh, why not mention, for example, the people of, um, you know, the people of, uh, uh, you know, Nuh alayhi salam or or Pharaoh and his people, or one of the different prophets and nations that have passed. Why? The people of Thamud specifically. That's the first question that I want us to focus on. And then we'll, we'll take on the second question as well. Here uh, to learn lessons from people who are lost like Hud and Thamud. Okay, but the question is, why them? Why them? Why choose them? Why not anyone else? Right? So we have Thamud here. Thamud But why Thamud? Why not in its place put Ibrahim Islam and his people? Why not put Musa Islam and his people? Why not put, for example, Dawood and Sulaiman and their people? Why not put any of the nations or even Shu'aib and his people? Why this particular uh, why this particular nation? I think the story may be a representation. This is Maryam. Uh, I think the story might be a representation of people who didn't reflect on signs around them. They had the Shi Kamal, which was a sign for them. So this is like you guys are kind of answering the second question, which is what is the connection of this story now with the rest of the surah, the previous 10 verses? But I wanted to focus firstly on why Allah Azzawajal chose the people of Thamud. Right? Why He chose the people of Thamud. So one of the reasons maybe, and Allah Azzawajal knows best, is because Thamud are one of the Arabs, right? a nation and a tribe of the Arabs. So you know when in that famous story of uh, Abu Walid, which I'm sure you've come across before, when the Quraysh gathered one day and they were sitting amongst their noblemen and their chieftains, um, and they, they started to speak to one another and Abu walid who was one of their nobles came to them and they said look why are you fighting why are you fighting the Prophet why are you fighting Muhammad and his followers why don't you just barter with him why just negotiate with him what is it that they want and give it to them and then tell them to stop preaching their religion so they said to him Abu walid you go and do it 
and he's the one who comes to the Prophet and he says, Oh, oh Muhammad, if you want to be our leader, we'll make you our leader. If you want money, we'll make you the richest man amongst us. If you want to get married, you can choose any woman. If there's something wrong with you, you're ill, we'll take you to a physician, we'll take you to someone to cure you. And he asks him all of these questions. And then the Prophet وسلم, he says to him, Walid, Have you finished? Are you done? And he says, Yes. And the Prophet وسلم, responds by reciting Surah Fussilat. And Allah in that surah, and, and the Prophet recites the opening passage, but towards the end of the, that opening passage, after around like a page or so, 16, 17, 18 uh, lines into the surah in our, in our mushaf that we have, Allah then, then says, And if they reject or they turn away and they don't take heed, Then tell them, of a warning or warn them. Say to them that I warn you of the punishment that came or of a punishment similar to the punishment that came to Ad and Thamud. And when Abu Walid heard this, and he's not someone who believes in the Quran, he's, he is not familiar with the stories of the Quran about Ad and Thamud. This is still the early Meccan period. And the detailed stories of Ad and Thamud are mentioned in the Medinan revelations. But he was familiar with the tribes and the nations because when the Prophet recites this verse, he tells him to stop. And he stops and he's visibly changed and visibly perturbed and scared by this punishment and the threat of punishment that has been made. And so the Arabs, the Quraysh and the Arabs generally were familiar with the tribes of Ad and Thamud. And that's because Ad and Thamud lived and resided in the Arabian Peninsula. And even though there are nations that had long since uh, been destroyed and long since passed, but they were familiar in terms of their name and in terms of their places, people knew that Ad came from Yemen and, and then you know Salih and, and the people of Salih salam and Thamud where they resided. And that's why there are some narrations, even uh, in, in, some, in some narrations of Hadith, but there's a difference of opinion as to regards to their authenticity or lack thereof, in which it is said that there were four prophets that we know of that are mentioned. From all of the prophets that are mentioned in the Quran, four are considered to be Arabs. right? Because Ibrahim salam, we often forget, isn't an Arab. He came there and he stopped there. He settled in Mecca where he left his wife and child in Mecca, but he wasn't an Arab. And Ismail salam, isn't an Arab. He marries from the Arabs. And so his progeny become from the Arabs, but Ismail salam, is the son of Ibrahim salam, and they are not Arabs. So from the prophets that Allah salam, chose to be from the Arabs, it is said in that narration, is Hud and Salih and Shu'ib and our prophets salam. These four prophets of Allah are the ones that we know of that are Arabs. And the others are not Arabs because the vast majority of them are from Bani Israel, right? And Bani Israel is not from the Arabs. And so they are different, right? So Musa and Isa and Zakaria and Dawood and Yahya and Sulaiman and all of those other prophets of Allah Azza wa Jal, they are not from the Arabs. And Nuh salam isn't from the Arabs. And so it is only these four that we know of. And there may well have been others because there are many prophets that Allah didn't relate to us their stories in the Quran. Allah says, There are messengers that we mentioned to, the, to you their stories, and there are other prophets and messengers that we didn't mention to you. So there may well have been other prophets from amongst the Arabs, and Allah knows best. But the ones that we're familiar with are these four. Obviously, our prophets, but before him, we have Hud and Salih and Shu'ib. So the reason therefore, uh, so that kind of partly answers the question why Thamud, because he's one of the Arabs and the Arabs were familiar with him. And so even in the early Meccan revelations when the Quraysh are being spoken to and addressed and the da'wah is coming to the Quraysh particularly, they're familiar with Thamud. So when Allah says, كَذَّبَتْ Thamud, 
Thamud rejected their prophet. It's not something where they're going to say, okay, and who was Thamud, right? What is Thamud? Never heard of Thamud. And now you have to give a whole background or, or, or a retelling of the story of Thamud. They may not have been familiar with the particular details of the story of Thamud and the people of Thamud and, the, and what happened with Salih salam. But the nation of Thamud and the fact that it no longer existed, that it was wiped away, was something that the Arabs knew. And one of the reasons that they knew that, and, and so one of the reasons, therefore, is that they're from the Arab tribes. But another reason Allah knows best is that from those Arabs, from those Arab tribes, Ad and Thamud and Madian, which is the people of Shu'ib, it was Thamud that the Quraysh were most familiar with, and Allah knows best. Why? Because it was them that they, that it was their old dwellings that the Arabs would often pass through, the Quraysh would often pass by when they were trading in places like Asham. Right? So when they were going to Asham, which was one of their their regular trading caravan routes, they would often pass by what today we call as Madain Salih. And even today it is still present in the northern part of uh, of, of modern day Saudi Arabia. <coughs> right? So what we therefore have is this group of of, of, of people or this nation, Thamud. The Arabs are familiar with them. Not only because of that, but because their dwellings are from the dwellings that still existed. So someone could say, but Ad is in Yemen. Right? And the Arabs, the Quraysh, also went to Yemen on one of their other regular regular trading routes. So why not Ad? Ad doesn't have any visible dwellings. Right? It doesn't have any visible place where you could go and say, oh, this is where Ad lived. Their area is generally known, but they didn't leave anything behind. As opposed to Madain Salih, Allah preserved those structures even till today. Right? You can go to Madain Salih. And in fact, the Prophet as we know in the authentic hadith, he himself passed by Madain Salih. Right? And so when the Prophet ﷺ was on his way to Tabuk for the Battle of Tabuk, which is uh, you know, the final major battle that the Prophet ﷺ participated in before his death, والسلام, in the ninth year of the Hijrah, as they were passing or going towards Tabuk, they passed by the area of Madain Salih. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he came and he was and there were companions who had preceded him to the place, they stopped there and they were taking from the water in the well and they were going to cook and stuff. And the Prophet ﷺ told them to spill out the water and to spit out their pots and pans, anything that they were cooking, and then he told them to leave. And in one narration he said that it's not, it's not befitting that you enter into this place, meaning this old place of Thamud, except that you're crying or you're attempting to cry. Right? And that's because it's a place of punishment, it's a place where people should reflect, it's a place where people should understand what took place, it's a place that Allah Azza wa Jal has, has caused one of his greatest punishments ever to descend amongst the people of the earth. And so it's something which should cause a person to reflect upon this, and it's not a place where you should generally dwell without good reason. So the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he sped through the area. So the point being that the Thamud were well known in that sense, and it's something which the Arabs were familiar with. So that's the reason why Thamud is mentioned. Allah Azza knows best. That's mentioned by some of the scholars. Uh, as for its relationship now to the rest of the surah, right? Why Thamud? And why is their story now going to be mentioned? Why does Allah Azza wa after mentioning all of the issues that he's mentioned, or the Jawab al-Qasim in particular, why does he mention Thamud? Some of the scholars said, and Allah Azza wa knows best, and again, this isn't an, uh, you know, it's not a narration of a companion who said this or made this link, but some of the scholars have inferred that the reason why Thamud <coughs> is mentioned, excuse me, the reason why Thamud is mentioned is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving an example of people who make tazkiyah to nafs 
of people who purify their souls and purify their hearts as opposed to those who don't. And Allah Azza wa wants to give the example of those people who don't and what will be the end result. And so Allah Azza wa chose a nation and a group of people that the Quraysh could at least understand and their story would resonate with them somewhat. Right? And that's the reason why they are mentioned. And Allah Azza wa knows best. That seems to be the reason and Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala knows best. So Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala mentions the story of Thamud. Thamud is mentioned one of the reasons for which it is mentioned is because of the link between or Allah Azzawajal is showing an example of those people who make tazkiyah to nafs they, they uh, purify their souls as opposed to those people who don't that's what some of the scholars said uh, another scholar said because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to them gave to the people of Thamud very clear signs that they rejected very clear signs that they rejected just as the Prophet is being given very clear signs. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins his surah, he takes an oath by what are the clear signs that point to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as being the creator. The sun, the moon, the night, the day, all of these things that are very clear signs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, Allah gave a clear sign to the people of Salih alayhi salam, the people of Thamud, as we will come on to in a short while. And so there are clear signs for both. What did Thamud do? They rejected the clear signs of Allah. So likewise, those who reject the clear signs of Allah today, right? that's the Qur'an, that's the, uh, the signs that we see in the, in the earth and the heavens, the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed for us, those people who reject them today will meet a similar outcome to the people of Thamud, even if not in this world, then in the next world. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala focuses when it comes to the story of Thamud, he focuses on their rejection of their prophet, their denial, right? Them calling Salih alayhi salam a liar, the way that they uh, rejected uh, the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That seems to be the link between the two, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, Umu said the people of Thamud were mixed in size, but they were not successful in purifying their souls. Okay, very good. So that's similar. Um, Thamud were an ancient Arab tribe. Yes, they were an ancient Arab tribe. Um, do we have signs of the places where, where these crimes Thamud was destroyed? Yeah, so Madain Salih, right? If you were to Google this, uh, you would find this. It's called Madain Salih. That's the common name by which it is known now. And it's towards the northern part of what is modern day Saudi Arabia. Okay, Tazkiyah to Nafs means purifying the soul or purifying the heart. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to us the story now of the people of Thamud. Who are the people of Thamud? Thamud are one of the Arab tribes as we mentioned and they came after the people of Ad. So Ad predated them. And I remember reading when I was researching for the for the reference today for the class I couldn't come I didn't come across it so I don't know where I heard or read this but I do remember reading or hearing at least uh, from someone that some of the scholars were of the position that Ad, when they were destroyed, the remnants of Ad, the people who survived that punishment, maybe the people who were believers or the few followers of, of Hud والسلام, they dispersed amongst Arabia. So they left Yemen and they went to different parts, and a group of them became Thamud, all right? Or a group of them went to Thamud. That seems 
Allahu alam slightly uh, maybe not the strongest position because the majority of the scholars of, of, of history such as Ibn Kathir and his Bidayah and Nihayah and Al-Tabari and others, they don't necessarily mention this. But what they do mention is that Thamud is one of the old Arab tribes, just as Ad was one of the old Arab tribes, or old Arab nations. So Thamud, we do know though, they came after Ad. So Ad predates Thamud, because Allah Azza wa in the Quran, when he speaks about the people of Thamud, he says, And remember when we made you successes to the people of Ad. Right? And maybe that's where some of the scholars inferred that they were from the remnants of Ad because Allah Azza calls them successes. But it could be that they are successes in terms of the next prophet was sent to them. But they were familiar with him. Allah says, remember Ad. You came after Ad, your successes to Ad. So Ad comes first and after they were destroyed, then we have Salih Islam coming to the people of Thamud. Both of them in a said, and Allah Azza knows best, uh, they, you know, they, they come to... They come from, they are from the descendants of Nuh alayhi salatu wassalam. Ad and Thamud are both from the descendants of Nuh alayhi salatu wassalam. And Thamud, it is said, is named after its uh, ancestor, right? So it goes back to the ancestors. The ancestor, his name was Thamud or Thamud or something very similar. And that's basically where the people gained their name and they became known as the people of Thamud. Allah Azza wa in the Quran, he also uh, describes them by another name. Can someone tell me? So Thamud in the Quran are known by another name. The tribe of Thamud is referenced in the Quran by another name. Can someone tell me what that name is? So in the Quran we have the people of Thamud and that is the most common name that Allah Azza refers to them by وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا إِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا and so on and so forth وَإِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا like the, 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 the name Thamud is the most common one. But there is another name that is mentioned also that refers to the people of Thamud. Can anyone tell me what it is? Can anyone tell me what it is? So one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us while you're thinking of the answer, uh, one of the things that Allah Azza tells us, uh, or one of the things that we know concerning the people of Thamud is that the area of the Arabian Peninsula that they were in had a limited amount of water. And so when Allah sends the camel to them, right, which will be the sign or the miracle of Salih alayhi salatu wasalam, they have different watering days. And so their water was very limited. And that's why they had to give a day of watering to the camel and a day of watering for themselves and their livestock. Because it was something which, uh, you know, which they didn't have enough water for everyone. And so it is said, and, and Allah Azza knows best about this, but it is said in some of the stories that when the people of Thamud first settled in this area, they came across water, and because it was limited, they they blocked it off, right? So they built like a like a kind of like a wall around that watering hole, and they kept it for themselves, meaning that they tried to preserve it because the water was very very little, and they didn't want the water to run out, right? So does anyone know what the other name is of Thamud in the Quran? It is related to what I just said. And in fact, there is a, um, a surah that is named after them. A surah that is named after them, or named after at least that word anyway. No? So they are known also in the Quran as Ashabul Hijr, the people of Hijr. In Surah Al-Hijr, Allah Azza wa Jal says, 
وَلَقَدْ كَذَّبَ أَصْحَابُ الْحِجْرِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And the people of the Hijr, they rejected the messengers and prophets. هُوَ أَصْحَابُ الْحِجْرِ It is another name for the name of Thamud according to the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. Al-Hijr means to, uh, you know, to, to abandon, to, to kind of boycott or to, or to Al-Hijr, when you make Hijr of something, you, you, it can mean to boycott, it can also mean to, um, you know, to, to, uh, to kind of like make small or, 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 to, or, to, or to make sure that something doesn't run out. So you say, for example, uh, you make Hijr upon someone who's a Safih, right? You make hijrah upon someone who's fool, who's a foolish person, who doesn't know how to spend their wealth and so on. That's like a fiqh thing. So one of the things that you do is you don't allow that person to buy and sell. So hijrah means that basically you're kind of stopping them from doing certain things. And so hijrah essentially means that you're kind of, you maintain a very tight control over them so that they don't go and do something because of their foolishness, because they're not able to do things in a very sensible and mature way. They may actually cause more harm than they do good. Right? And that is known in, in the Sharia as in, in the terms of fiqh as ahkamu safi. That is called hajar or hijr as well. And hijr essentially means when you're kind of like stopping something. And so that is why they're called ashabul hijr because they stopped their water from overrunning. And that water was very little. And so this is the group of people that are there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us about the people of Thamud that Allah gave to them the ability to go and to uh, to use essentially what we would probably call in our day, in our time and day, science and technology, they had the ability to engineer, and they had the ability to go and to and to and to you know build palaces and homes. So even if you look, for example, today in in Madan in Saleh, what you will find is homes that are carved into the sides of mountains, right? And that's something which is extremely amazing, considering that considering that they lived thousands of years ago. These are people that are many many centuries and generations before our Prophet And so these are people that Allah gave them the ability in their time to come to a mountain and to carve into it not just a small hole or a small cave, I'm talking about massive structures and monuments. And all you have to do is Google, uh, you know, this, the Google Madain uh, Saleh is very similar in some ways to Petra in Jordan. Those types of, of, uh, of, of buildings and carvings that they were able to do in, in the sides of mountains. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran You're able to carve houses, buyut, out of mountains. Right? And it's something which is amazing to see. And it was all because of what Allah gave to them from that ability. But despite what they had in terms of prosperity, despite what they had in terms of being able to use the skills that they were endowed with to benefit themselves and their people and so on, at the same time, they were also people who uh, disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had kufr in Allah azza They disbelieved in him. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to them a prophet. And his name is Salih alayhi salatu wassalam. And the prophet Salih alayhi salam came to them and he commanded them to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to turn back to Allah azza wa jal. And so this is essentially what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in this part of the surah now. When Allah azza wa says, كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودُ بِتَغْوَاهَا in their arrogant cruelty, the people of Thamud called their messenger a liar. Uh, Muhammad ibn Ka'ab, he said, Taghwaha means biajma'iha, meaning all of them, right? all of them disbelieved in their messenger. And Imam al-Bukhari, ta'ala, he chose the position of Mujahid, ta'ala, in the meaning of Taghwaha, he said, through their sin, 
right through their transgression, which is the common translation as we saw that most of the translators have chosen, that the people of Thamud, in their arrogant cruelty or due to their transgression, they call their messenger a liar, right? Kadhabat. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kadhabat qawmunil mursaleen, Kadhabat Thamud al mursaleen, as he does elsewhere in the Quran, or he says it about Aad, or he says it about the people of Lot or others, the word kadhaba is to deny and to reject and to essentially call someone a liar, right? Kadhib means to lie. Kadhib is lying. And so when Allah says, Kadhabat Thamudu, the people of Thamud called him a liar. It essentially means they rejected him, right? Because they're saying that you're a liar. What's he lying about? What are they claiming that he's lying about? Claiming that he's lying about being a messenger of Allah, receiving revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah is alone and worthy of worship. He's basically lying about all of this stuff that matters. And so therefore that is called takdeeb. So takdeeb means essentially that they have rejected him, they've denied him, they've called him an outright liar. Bitagwaha. What is the reason for it? This is what the majority of the scholars of tafsir hold this to be, and that is that it was due to their sins, their transgression, their cruelty, their arrogance, their disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that disbelief led them in calling their own prophet a, um, a, a, a they call uh, to, to considering their prophet to be from those who, who is a liar. They considered him to be a liar. In the Quran, uh, I was just trying to think of the verse in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in other places in the Quran that the people of Salih alayhi salam, the people of Thamud, they actually said to Salih, Ya Salih, qad kunta fina marjuwan qabla hadha. O Salih, we had high hopes for you before this, meaning before you came in this prophethood and message and whatever, we had high hopes for you, meaning amongst us as our people, right, you would have had a very high, uh, a very high uh, position and status amongst us. Do you tell us or forbid us from worshipping that which our forefathers worshipped? We are very doubtful of what it is that you are calling us towards. Right? And so they were people who, even when Salih came, they were people of arrogance and they were people who looked down upon him and the people who said that he should have stayed with them and he would have had all of the benefits of the worldly life that they could have given to him. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, the people of Thamud, they rejected their Prophet. And what they rejected about their Prophet, meaning their transgression is to reject or to disbelieve in the punishment that Salih salam promised them would be coming because of their disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَكَانَ ذَلِكَ الْعَذَابُ طَاغِيًا عَلِيهِمْ So essentially, uh, Imam Al-Tabari is saying that Tughyan here is the name for the punishment that Allah sent down to them. It is essentially the, the punishment that would come. It is described as being extremely harsh. And he uses this because of the verse in the Quran which Allah says, As for Thamud, they were destroyed by the Taghiyah. Right? And so it is the name that is given or the description that is given to their punishment. And this is, he says, is also the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas. رضي الله عنهما, he said, اسم العذاب الذي جاءها الطغوة. It was the name of the punishment that came to them. It was known as Taghwa. And so Allah Azza says that he basically destroyed them with this punishment called Taghwa. But the position of other scholars, as we mentioned of Mujahid and others, and it's the one that was chosen by uh, Ibn Kathir, رحمه الله تعالى, he said that they were destroyed because of their sin. Taghwa, 
comes from the root word tughyan. And tughyan essentially means to transgress. Essentially means that it's something which is, uh, you know, something which is uh, sin, something which is arrogant, something which is... And so they were essentially destroyed because of their sin, because of the rejection of their prophet, because of the disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was the position that was chosen by Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, so that which came and befell the people of Thamud, Allah is saying, is because of their own humiliation that they cast upon themselves. And it is because, because they didn't purify their souls, but rather they made them wretched. Right? And this is connecting the story of Thamud with what we said was the Jawab al-Qasam, as we mentioned last week. Right? And as we said, and Allah knows best, that seems to be the relationship between the previous 10 verses and now the story of Thamud. And that is that they, this is an example of a group of people that the Arabs could relate to, with and relate to a people who didn't purify their souls and their hearts. And therefore the greatest way, as we mentioned, of purifying the soul and the heart is by believing in Allah Azza wa Jalla and having Iman in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and doing anything and everything which strengthens that faith in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and that relationship and connection with Allah Azza wa Jal. These people, what did they do? They rejected that means of purifying their soul. Because if a person, for example, was to give charity and to help the orphans and to help the needy, but they don't have tawheed, and they haven't worshipped Allah, or they don't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, then we know that that's not enough to make tazkiyah to nafs. It's not enough to purify the heart. right? And this will come in more, uh, you know, perhaps in more, um, in more detail when we come to, inshallah ta'ala, the story of uh, in Surah Al-Balad, right? because we will have some examples there as well. But when a person doesn't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't really matter what, what, what other good they do. It doesn't matter what they did in terms of goodness and in terms of in terms of acts of helping others and whatever. That reward for the goodness that they do, they are given in this life. That's the part of the dunya that they receive. But as for the ultimate reward of Jannah and the hereafter, that's something which they don't receive. So that ultimate purification of the heart revolves around the aspect of believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having iman. In Allah Azza wa So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودُ بِتَغْوَاهَا In verse number 12, إِذِمْ بَعَثَ أَشْقَاهَا When the most wicked man amongst them rose. When the most wicked man amongst them rose. Who is this wicked man and what is this story? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will now mention this in, in, in what is remaining of this surah, in Surah Al-Shams. Essentially the people of Thamud, when they reach, reached a... Uh, if you like an impasse between themselves and between Salih السلام, and his followers, they made a demand. And it's mentioned in some of the books of, of, of tariq, of history and the stories of the prophets and so on. It's mentioned that they demanded a miracle that they could see. And that miracle was that they pointed towards the mountains because the area is surrounded by mountains. They pointed towards the mountain and they said that we want you to extract from the mountain a she-camel, a naqa. A naqa is a female camel, a she-camel. And we want it to look like this. And its attributes must, must be such and such. And its description must be like this and this and this. And they essentially identified or they described for him a type of camel that they wanted to see before their very eyes coming from the mountain. If you claim you're a prophet of Allah, if you claim that Allah Azza wa Jal sent you with his message and that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala gives you revelation and so on and so forth, this is the miracle that we want to see. 
So Salih السلام, took from them oaths and promises that if he did so, that he made dua to Allah, that he asked Allah for this miracle, and that Allah جل, if he granted them this miracle, that they would believe, that they would accept, that they would stop rejecting him, that they would accept. And so they agreed, they gave him their oaths and their promises. And so Salih السلام, turned to Allah جل, in dua, and he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. Right? And this is a beautiful point to remember, that the prophets of Allah do not control miracles. They don't bring miracles by themselves. Rather, they ask Allah and they make dua to Allah to grant them the miracle. Right? And so the prophets of Allah don't have the, don't have the power themselves to change the universe or to change the earth or to bring out a camel or to split the moon or to do anything else. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who does so and it's Allah who gives it by the hands of those prophets and messengers And so he made dua to Allah and so the camel came out of the mountain in the way that they described, fulfilling the criteria, the description that the people of Thamud had demanded from Salih now when this camel comes out and it is a sign from the signs of Allah جل, a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but at the same time at the same time it is also a trial and a test because the signs of Allah جل, and the miracles yes they are amazing in what they are but they are also trials and tests and so the trial and the test for the people of Thamud is that this she camel when it came they were told by Salih السلام, you cannot harm it you can't do anything with it leave it alone don't harm it, you can't take it for its meat, leave it alone, it is from the signs of Allah. And by harming it or killing it, you have essentially incurred upon you the punishment of Allah. You're essentially saying to Allah جل, we reject your sign, we've killed it, and therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send his punishment down upon you. Now the issue that they faced, the trial that they faced, is that the she-camel, when it would come to drink from their watering hole, it would run it dry. It would run it dry. And so they would have no water left. And so these are people who already have a lack of water, but then also they're arrogant, right? They're proud, they're people who are haughty. They think, why should we have to succumb to this camel? It's a camel, right? We own camels, we own horses, this is what we do. Why is it that this camel now has so much power and influence over us? And so Salih says to them, For it will be one day to drink, and for you, will be one day to drink. But whatever you do, don't harm this she-camel, because it is a sign from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But essentially they couldn't, like they couldn't stop, right? And so what they will essentially do is come and they will demand or they will uh, they will kill they will kill this camel. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in verse number twelve when he says, And Imam al Bukhari ta'ala in his Sahih, in Sahih al Bukhari, he mentions a narration uh, which is on the authority of a companion by the name of Abdullah ibn Zam'ah Abdullah ibn Zam'ah radiyallahu an that he heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst he was giving a sermon يخطبوا وذكر الناقة والذي عقر and the Prophet sallallahu mentioned the sheikh camel of Salih alayhi salam and he mentioned that it was hamstrung how he was killed because essentially the story you know just in case anyone doesn't know how it ends they kill the camel they hamstring the camel meaning that they kill and slaughter the camel فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet said, after mentioning the sheikh camel and the story, he said, إِذِمْ بَعَثَ أَشْقَاهَا He said that the one that they sent, as Allah says, when the most wicked man amongst them rose. Right? And if I look at the different translations that we have here, that's the translation of 
Professor Abdul Harim Muhsin Khan says, when the most wicked man amongst them went forth to kill the she camel, and Mufti Taqi when rose up the one who was most wretched of them, and Sahih International when the most wretched of them was sent forth. Right? The word shaqawa or ashqa means the most wretched, right? the most wicked, the most evil. And that is what shaqi is. Right? Allah says on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ There will be people who are shaqi, who are wretched, and there will be people on the day who are sa'id, who are extremely happy and joyful. So shaqawa means someone who is wretched, someone who has no success, someone who does evil, someone who is wicked. And not only are these people wicked, ashqa means that he was the most wicked from amongst them. And often it is in the groups of people like in nations and so on or whenever it comes to opposing the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is the worst of the people that normally take the forefront. Right? That's the same thing here. It's the same thing, for example, in the story of Musa because it's Pharaoh that takes that position. It's the same, for example, um, you know, in other stories of the Prophet of Allah, even in the story of our own Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when it's the likes of Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl and Umayyah and those people who stand. They are the worst of their people and they're the ones who are constantly egging other people on, constantly inciting other people to do evil and do harm. So the Prophet said concerning this man, this most wicked amongst them, in He said that he sent this man that Allah describes as being the most wicked was a man who was known for his strength and for his, you know, his extremely stern and extremely harsh. And he was someone that was feared amongst his people like Abu Zam'ah. Like Abu Zam'ah. Right? And this is the man who is, uh, the Prophet was speaking about a man who was known amongst the companions who passed away. He was known also to be extremely harsh and extremely thingy. And he's saying that he was similar to them. And this is one of the ways in which the Prophet ﷺ would often describe things. He would give to them a, a description that the companions could relate with, that something that they could see, something that they could understand. And so he's saying that this man would be like us amongst our people. He's like Abu Zama'ah. Right? And that's what he's describing to the companions of the Prophet And this is something which you will see. Right, The Prophet said when he was describing Ibrahim والسلام, and the one that is most similar to his, him in appearance is me, meaning the Prophet And when he was describing uh, Jibreel السلام, he said the one who is most similar to him, meaning when he comes in human form, is the companion Dihyatul Kalbi. And so the Prophet would often make these types of of connections, right? He would often say the similarity, this person is like this or that one is like this and that's because there's something which people can then relate with and understand either because of their physical description when it comes to, for example, the angel Jibreel and the Prophet Ibrahim or a description in terms of character. His character, his nature was like this man Abu Zam'a. And so the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this and that's an authentic hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari. Al-Imam al-Tabari, he said, He said that this is the worst of the people of Thamud. Why is he the worst of the people of Thamud? Because he's the one who stands up and he begins the process that will eventually lead to the killing of the camel. Now he's not alone. Right? He's not alone. There are many others, as we will see in the following verses. There are many others that took that place as well. But he is the one who took the mantle, if you like. He's the one who stood up. And he's the one who would said that I would be the one to go and do it. Because there's always someone who has to go and do it first, right? There's always someone who's got to be the ringleader. 
And there are different stories that we will mention and perhaps this will uh, be left possibly now till next week uh, because they kind of like go along into that story. We have still a few verses left. But in terms of how this person was incited and who he was and how he began, some of the relations say that there were two of them, right? Because essentially we know, as Allah Azza wa Jalla he mentions elsewhere in the Quran, that the people that actually came to actually kill the camel were nine. The group of people that actually came, and they did so with the blessing of the whole of the nation, of all of the community, all of them were behind it and they supported them. But the people who actually came and did the physical act of killing the camel were nine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, وَكَانَ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ تِسْعَةُ يُفْسِدُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا يُصْلِحُونَ there were in the city, meaning amongst the people of Thamud, a group of nine who did evil upon the earth and they did, they did no good. And their thing also was that not only would they kill the ham and hamstring, hamstring the camel, but then they would come and they would kill Salih and his family. And they would say to their relatives, we don't know what happened, right? And this is very similar, as we know, or this part anyway, very similar to what the Quraysh then tried to do with the Prophet ﷺ just before the Hijrah. When they decided that the only way that they could kill the Prophet ﷺ without causing internal civil war and internal strife was that a man from each of the different clans, each of the different families of Quraysh, they come together, one from each family, and all of them go and they kill the Prophet ﷺ together, each one of them. So then now when the family of the Prophet ﷺ come and they say, we want to hold those people to account, they can't fight all of Quraysh because everyone's taken part in the killing of the Prophet What will they have to do? They will have to accept blood money. They will have to accept blood money because they have no other recourse. They don't have any other option. Whereas if it's just one family, then the family of the Prophet will stand against the other family, the other clan. And they will demand that the rest of Quraysh do so as well. And the rest of Quraysh will have to do so because of you know the, the just the general... Uh, habits and customs of those people that when someone is oppressed or there's a murder or a killing then you have to stand with the people who have been oppressed but if all of them take a part everyone can say look that's our guy and that's our family member and he's our brother and that's our son and that's my uncle and so on now all of them are involved so they don't have a position and that shows to you when 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 people have that evil thought it is normally a group of them but the rest of the people then because they are of a similar evil disposition, they rejected Allah Azza wa and they rejected his message, they will often agree to what is being mentioned. And that is essentially what happens with the people of Thamud. And so these people, even though it is the worst of them, and in some narrations it is said that there were two who were initially going to go and do the deed, and then they wanted more help, so they caused, called another seven, and they agreed, and so they became nine. And those are the nine that Allah Azza wa is referring to when he says, وَكَانَ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ that there were amongst them a group of nine who committed evil upon the earth and they did no good. So in Imam Tabri he says that this was the worst of the people of Thamud and his name was Qudar, Qudar ibn Salif. Qudar ibn Salif. And Ibn Kathir ta'ala, he says something very similar. He says, He was the worst of the whole tribe of Thamud. And his name was Qudar ibn Salif, as Al-Tabari said also. And he's also known as Uhaymir Thamud. Uhaymir Thamud. And he's the one that Allah Azza wa says concerning him in Surah Al-Qamar. فَنَادَوْ صَاحِبَهُمْ فَتَعَاطَى فَعَقَرُ They called out to their companion, meaning all of Thamud, 
called out, meaning that they supported and they encouraged this man, and he's the one who went and he hamstrung the camel, the she camel, which was the miracle that was given to the Prophet Saleh alayhi salatu wasalam, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, so I think that's a good place for us to stop, inshallah ta'ala, before we come on to the last two or three verses of this surah. So let me just see if there's any questions, anyone has any points that they want to make. Uh, we can cover them. So Hamza, yes, it was Hijr, but I think you were uh, slightly uh, later. I didn't see your message. Uh, is it related to water? So the word Hijr doesn't mean water. It means water in context of the people of Thamud. But the word Hijr itself is to abandon or to stop or to, uh, you know, kind of like uh, to kind of put restrictions upon something. Okay. Which book do we have to read about these stories? Is this detailed in the Quran? I read about Hud and Thamud, but somehow don't remember the whole details as you mentioned. Which book would you like to recommend? So there are books that have been written. Obviously, the Quran is the primary source of information because the details of most of these prophets of Allah and their stories are only found in the Quran. And what you find in the Sunnah is very little in terms of the meat and bones of the story. So you will have a few narrations like the one that we mentioned today concerning this man. <clears throat> um, that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the Hadith in Al-Bukhari you will have snippets like this but it's not something which you will find in great detail but there are books that are that the scholars wrote just on the stories of the Quran right? the stories of the Prophet such as Ibn Kathir's book Qasasul Anbiya stories of the Prophets by Imam Ibn Kathir ta'ala. Uh, and that's something which I think as far as I know has been translated into English as well and Allah Azza wa knows best but that's probably a good source um, and I'm sure that there's probably some good lecture series that have been done on this topic as well. Uh, have we stopped providing the study material document for each surah in this academic year? Yes. So the, the material, the study material document essentially was just a translation. So all it was literally was the Arabic and the English and maybe just a couple of other things here and there. Um, you know, just like the number of verses and so on. So it wasn't really anything extra. Um, and I think the reason why we stopped that is because first it's just a translation which I think is widely available Quran.com for example or you just have your own copy of the Quran or um, you know at, at the same time because we have such an amazing uh, transcribing team Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless their efforts and increase them in good yeah, and they're so on it like every week we have the, the transcribed notes and the snapshots and, and the summaries and everything else essentially like it's so much there anyway that I don't really think that the the, the study material that was being done really added anything. It's just essentially a translation. So um, I think for that reason, like that's why we stopped it. Um, but yes, that's uh, that's essentially why there's no material document now. You can just as, literally refer to any translation of the Quran that you want to, and then we're basically just expanding upon those translations. Okay, so Jazakumullah Khair, inshallah ta'ala, and inshallah ta'ala we will be back. Same time next week. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.